All right. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, make us ready to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but us from evil one. Christ Jesus, our Lord, find us the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so first of all, my apologies in advance because I'm very rusty. Um, it's been a long time uh, since I've done this, and there's only two people with their cams on, so that's also ox. Um, and I'm also not used to um, like running off of a particular book. Um, so I'm gonna try it out. I hope it goes okay. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You guys can give me feedback. Um, I wanted to go through during Lent some chapters of uh, Dorotheus of Gaza. Um, this course is insane. If you have not read the book, please like consider reading the book. It's phenomenal. Um, it's got great advice. A lot of the different uh, spiritual exercises that you might receive from your fathers of confession uh, could easily be rooted in this book. I know that my priest who raised me um, I felt like I found this cheat book when I read this one, because like, oh, so that's where you got a bunch of things from. Um, so I'm going to start with the first um, chapter. Um, I'm not going to obviously read it. If you want to have read them in advance, no problem. You don't need to have read it um, like for, for following along. But um, Dorotheos, Abba Dorotheos is a very um, systematic He's actually really funny. Um, like he actually tells funny stories, like they're meant to be funny. It's not just like, because I think he is, although my humor might suck, but um, he's very methodical. This uh, chapter might be one of the harder ones, but every time he gives a concept, um, he likes to give stories um, to back it up. Like it's not just like, a, here's a lecture on whatever. Um, and again, he's often very, funny about about those and and he just seems very modern i think in his approach so the first chapter is renunciation and i think uh you'll understand uh shortly why he starts with it um and i want to keep in mind that this is he's writing this to monks because he is uh the leader of a monastic community um but I'm, I'm going to try and, and say how it applies um, to a non-monastic community, because the concepts that are in this are not just for, for monks. Um, there's a modern desert father who said something that I really liked, and he said, what is a monk other than just a Christian um, who's living in a monastery? So I'm not trying to just reduce monasticism, but at the same time, the principles that govern us are the same. We're just trying to apply the gospel out in a different way. So... Dorotheo starts off by taking us through um, history, um, which made me feel better about myself because he does what I always do by going straight back to Genesis um, to set up the scene for why um, any of this matters and why this concept of renunciation, why it's even a big deal. Um, so he starts off by talking about how man was made in paradise, right? He's made in a good place. Everything is good. But he also talks how man was given all virtue and made immortal, okay? And this virtue thing is a big deal, um, as we'll get to. 
And so he, he's emphasizing that this is man's original nature um, or human. When I say man, I just mean everyone. Um, but um, this is his original nature. So he's saying that we started off good, right? We didn't start off bad. We didn't start off with problems. We didn't start off with envy, strife. We started off great. But that he, he starts off by saying that to emphasize that we walked away from that, right? We went contrary to that. And when we did that, we became prey to sin. And I, I like his use of saying prey to sin and prey as in P-R-E-Y to sin um, in the sense that we always emphasize that man sinned and that that caused a problem. But he's saying that not only did man sin cause a problem, but we became victim to sin, if you will, which is more human. And Google's talking behind me. Um, but we became prey to sin, ambition, love of pleasures um, of this life and other passions. And so he says that man changed from being master of these things to being mastered by these things. Um, we became slaves, if you will. So he says, as we became slaves, piety or godliness or being in the image and likeness um, started to diminish and ignorance of God did too. Right, that people started to forget to not know about what it is to be good. Um, and so he says, yeah, there were some heroic people that came from time to time, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, etc. But he said, rarely did people actually know about God. And because they didn't know about God, idolatry took root. Um, I'll pause for a moment to say, I think that's what's happening in the world today, right? Like that's that's exactly what's going on, is that we've chosen lawlessness so piety is less heroic people are less so people know less about god and idolatry is what abounds right we idolize everything but he said okay god to help them gave a law to help them turn from this idolatry and the law was a help to put right what was evil but people wanted evil right they rejected the prophets Right. And I think that's so true of all of us. And so so Dorotheus goes into different verses and different um, uh, ways of saying that where he bring, he quotes Jeremiah saying, God is saying we wanted to heal Babylon. Right. Like I wanted to fix Babylon, but Babylon did not want to be fixed. OK, Babylon did not want to be healed. Um, we have reviled your name. We've re we, we don't like your commandments. Um, or he says, um, uh, all, and in the psalm, it says, all food did their soul abhor, and they drew nigh even unto the gates of death, which, again, I feel that that's me, at least in different moods, where I, I'm not interested in spiritual food, um, where I, I should be, but I'm, I'm not always, I'm going to be honest. If you always do, good on you, for real. Um, so he says, God sent his son, because only God could heal such a disease. Um, and he, he uses a, a way of speaking that I thought was really cool to heal the similar by the means of similar, the soul by means of soul, the flesh by means of flesh, for he became man in everything except sin, of saying that Christ came to really fix it. Um, and I think we're not used to hearing Desert Fathers being that as savvy theologically, but that's an aside. So God became the new Adam in the image of God who created the first Adam to liberate man from the dominion of sin. Um, at the end of all this, this is the theory in the background is going to be the, the so-called practical, but the practical to me only makes sense if we know the theory. Okay. So 
God came, he liberates man. He overthrows the whole power of the enemy. He gave us authority over serpents and scorpions, as we always say. But we became free again, right? This is what, I don't think we, we, we think about this so much, but we came free again to have dominion over the passions, right? We tend to think, what can I do? I'm just pissed. What can I do? I'm just jealous, right? But Dorothy is saying, actually, you can do something. We actually now have the ability to do something. Before, it was actually harder. And so then he does something that is so important. And this is why we read the Desert Fathers. We probably should have had a talk first about why the desert. But um, for them, it's like, um, it's the science, right? Like this is the lab, right, for, 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 for spirituality. So he, dif he differentiates passion from sin, that they're not the same thing, okay? So he says that the passions are, he lists some of them, anger, vainglory, love of pleasure, hatred, evil fleshly desire, and the like, and so on in, in old speech. Whereas sins, on the other hand, are the actions of the passions, okay? It's when somebody brings them into fulfillment in deed, he says, um, that he performs in body those deeds which his passions arouse him. So said in modern English, sins are symptoms, not the diseases, okay? And so my act of murder is coming from the passion of hatred, right? My act of gossip might be from my vanity, right? But that there's an underlying disease that's shown by being carried out as a sin. Um, and I think that's so important because this is kind of why just, again, to, to freeload off of that, is to say that this is the difference between confession and guidance Right, because in confession you might be coming in and saying I stole, but in guidance you might be treated for the passion that caused your stealing, right? And that's where the the art of a, of a good physician comes in to be like, well, what is causing it? Because you could do an act that comes from two different passions, but which one is it? That that's the art. And so he says that Christ comes in and gives us a new law right, to take us well beyond the passions, right, where the law says do not commit adultery, right, don't do the sin, don't do the act, but Christ is saying get rid of fleshly desire, deal with the passion, right, this is a different way of looking at how God spoke, the law said don't kill, Christ said don't be angry, right, let's solve the, the, the passion of anger from before it, right, because if you have fleshly desire, even though you may not commit adultery today, Dorotheo says. The desire will continue to disturb you until it attracts you to the very act, right? How many of you have ever felt, right? Like, okay, I haven't done it wrong, but it's on my mind all the time, right? And you're constantly saying, no, 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 don't do it. Almost inevitably leads you to do it, <laughs> right? Like it just, it becomes the thing that you do. And so like Dorotheo is diagnosing this, right? If you become angry and irritated against your brother, he's talking to monks, then at some point you're going to fall into speaking evil against him. You might begin to deceive him, right? And this way, little by little, he says, you might even give way to murder. Forgive me for being so explicit, but this literally happened in our lifetime just three years ago, right? Um, four years ago, sorry now. Um, but Christ teaches not only to bear patiently, a blow on the cheek, saying not just to like to accept somebody hitting you in the face, 
but to even turn the other cheek in humility, right? He's saying Christ is taking it further for the treatment. Because the aim of the law, Dorothea says, was to instruct us not to do whatever we ourselves didn't want to put up with, but now it's demanded to banish the passion itself, banish hatred, not just to put up with somebody hitting me, but to even get rid of this whole hatred itself, the love of pleasure itself, the love of glory itself, and all the other passions. Love of glory, I think, is a particularly big one um, in our in our culture, um, where we're encouraged to advance, to show, to have as many likes as we can get, as many viewers as we can get. Like that's that's how we function, right? Um, and he's saying, Christ is saying, get rid of it. So why am I spending so much time on the theory? Is because the point that Dorotheus is, is making is not, here's a really cool idea, right? The point that Dorothea is trying to say is, you're made actually as something, as someone, right? That the passions have taken us away from who that someone is, and our pursuit of virtue is about recovering our identity. Okay, so now Dorotheus will take us into these lessons to demonstrate the point of what this talk is supposed to be about, which is renunciation. Okay, because he says, now, I've gone through this history. I've told you what happened. This is where we came out to historically. But he, he says, Christ has shown us here in brief, in one word, the root and cause of all evil and the treatment against them, the cause of everything good. He showed us that haughtiness or pride is what brought us down that is that it is impossible to receive mercy in any other way than through what is the opposite of this that is humility of wisdom and the next chapter of his book is just on that topic but he's saying okay the cause and we're going to get into how it is that this is the cause but the cause of all wrong is arrogance pride haughtiness right these different synonyms of various kinds and that the root of it is the humility of wisdom or sorry, the solution to it, the antithesis of it, is the haughtiness of, of wisdom. Uh, sorry, humility of wisdom. Not We're not solving haughtiness by haughtiness. Um, for why have we been subjected to all these sor sorrows, he says? Is it not from pride? Is it not from senselessness? Is it not from the fact that we do not bridle our evil will? Is it not from the fact that we cling to our bitter self-will? Indeed, and from what else was not man after his creation in a state of every enjoyment, every joy, all repose and all glory? Was he not in paradise? He was not commanded, he was commanded not to do this, but he did it. Do you see the pride? Do you see the stubbornness? Do you see the lack of submission? After this, God sees such famous said, he is senseless, etc. Okay. What is Dorothea's going getting excited and worked up about? Okay, he's saying we were made in such an awesome place. The thing that ruined it was decisions. Decision of self-pleasure over everything right, everything good, everything that was made. It's such a simple concept, right? But it's a concept that we keep coming back to in Christianity over and over and over again, which is love, which is my choosing. How do I choose? So he's saying so simply, when humans chose self over rightness, that's when all went wrong. 
right? And so he says, and then God ends saying the saying, he doesn't, he being humans, doesn't delight in joy, right? And that's so on point, right? Like, like, like to me, that wasn't just a passing concept. How many of you, and this is myself included, don't always find joy in doing what's right, right? That, that, that's a sign of our senselessness, right? Of saying that I would rather choose wrong. My father confession read me out just yesterday um, and it was beautiful, I needed it, right? Of saying like, look at how the passions make you sick, right? If you're angry at somebody, you're the one who gets sick, right? Your anger didn't fix your situation. Your anger, your rage, didn't cause the other person to stop being who he or she is. It didn't change the situation. You're angry. He's like, this isn't the movies where like, um, you know, like the guy comes in with his revenge killing and he's so satisfied. He was like, in real life, that's not what happens. In real life, you get more upset and the other person lives their life and you're not. But for some reason, we still choose the passion of anger sometimes, myself included, right? And so he's saying that that's senseless, but that's the cause of our, our current state. And so he says, and because of this, God, let us do that, right? And like he, he was going to fix it, but he's saying from the garden on, he let us. This reminds me to me of Romans 2, of saying that God turned them over to their own will, right? That when we chose, when we chose wrong, God allowed us to, to continue in that. He respected our will. Right. But the real question here, I guess we kind of ask is, does getting your way really result in joy? Dorotheus is arguing, no, it, it doesn't. Um, I would agree from my own experience that no, it doesn't. Um, and I'm agreeing from the perspective of doing the wrong, not from choosing the right. Um, so that was lesson number one from him. Right. Is that it's man's will that causes. Number two, he says. Man's reaction to being called out on being wrong is messed up. Man's reaction is self-justification. So what is, where does he go with this? So Dorothea says, okay, God comes to Adam, right? Who's chosen the passions, right? And says, hey, Adam, where are you? Okay, Genesis 3.10. And, and Dorothea is giving his own commentary on the story. And he's like, so God's saying, Adam, where are you? Which is to say, uh, so what shame have you come from your former glory, you who are perfect, right? Then he asks him, why have you sinned? Why have you gone against the commandment, right? And, he, and Dorotheus goes, and, and God is like preparing him with the question to say, just say sorry, right? Just say, I messed up, right? That's it. Forgive me. Um, and Dorotheus gets riled up and he goes, but there was no humility. Where was the word forgive? There was no repentance, only the exact opposite. For instead, he goes, Adam argues and answers, the woman you gave me deceived me, right? That's, that's Adam's reaction to this call to repentance. He's like, hey, this lady that you gave me, she messed me up, right? And, and, and Dorotheus points out, he doesn't just say, my wife deceived me, no. The woman you gave me deceived me, right? Almost as if to put the blame on God, right? To even, he said he does not even hesitate to accuse even God himself, 
And he goes, okay, so that's Adam. But then he goes to Eve and says, hey, Eve, what's up with what happened? Why did you not keep the commandment? Um, and he says it again, hinting to her, you at least say, forgive me so that your soul might become humbled and you'll be forgiven. But again, he never hears the word forgive coming from humans. Instead, she replies, the serpent deceived me, right? Not my fault, right? It's, it's the serpent. Um, and so Dorotheos gets worked up and he's like, what are you doing, oh wretched ones, right? Um, repent, change your mind, acknowledge your sin, regret your nakedness, but neither of them wish to accuse themselves and did not find humility in the least in a single point. So this reaction is self-justification, right? Which is what we are all, I think, very prone to. Self-justification meaning making myself right. Said in a different way, it's saying that I am the ruler. Like I am the measuring stick. I am the, I am the measure by which things are. Not rightness, not actual rightness, not absolute rightness, right? I am the scale by which rightness is measured. This is the highest form of ego. And I think we do it all the time, but probably don't even notice that we're doing, which is very scary that we don't even notice, right? It begs the question of when you say something is clearly right or clearly wrong, what do you mean by it, right? But this is Dorotheus walking us through where the renunciation needs to come in, okay? By talking about how we did the opposite and how the opposite led us to the state that we're in. So he continues, neither of them wanted to accuse themselves. They didn't find the least humility, right? And so we, we see clearly what this attitude leads to what it is that the misfortunes that resulted from the fact that we justify ourselves, that we keep to our own will and we follow ourselves, right? So he says the opposite, the children of humility and of wisdom are the ones that have self-reproach. They don't trust their own mind. They don't choose their own will, right? So he's saying that that kind of person can come to himself, repent, right? And return to his natural state through purifying himself by the holy commandments of, of, of God, right? So he continues, it's about obeying the commandments, but commandments, he's making the point, are pointing at our nature. They're not random, right? I know that we're very sensitive to this word commandment in modern times of it sounding just like a legal issue, but he's saying that this commandment is really just our identity. It's really just becoming as we're meant to be. So great people realize the conflict between choosing what's right and wrong. He goes on to say, that's what caused Antony the Great, Macarius, these, these greats, right? To go to the monasteries of saying, hey, I wanna fix this, right? I wanna actively do something. I don't wanna just passively. I wanna do all that I can to choose cleansing, to choose returning to myself, right? So Dorothea said, these are the ones that fled to the world. They live in deserts, fasting, keeping vigils, sleeping bare on the earth, cut off from family, relatives, possessions. They are crucified this, they have crucified to the world. So I'm not saying this, that you all jump off and go to the desert, although brotherhood's accepting if you want, but that's not why I'm saying it. Um, but how many of you have thought about that that's what they're doing, right? That there are people who take 
this call to choosing right so seriously that they say, I don't even trust myself in the world. Not the world is so evil, so I don't trust me and I wanna do everything in my power to choose rightness, real rightness, right? So most of you are not gonna to go to the monastery, um, statistically speaking, but do you ask yourself how seriously that you do take that choosing, that choosing of right and wrong, right? That there are people who took it so seriously that they literally went to the desert. How seriously do you take it? And we're gonna get some examples of that um, in a little bit. And so he says, if you think about it in a different way, virtue, okay, the opposite of the passions, are a duty to the king. I don't know that many of us think of it that way, right? We're saying you, you actually kind of owe it, not kind of, you actually owe it to God to be how you were designed, which is virtue, right? He's saying that's something that you should see as your, your duty because you're made by him. He goes, but gifts, okay, gifts. And in he, here he's, he's talking about virginity and giving up possessions because he's talking to monks. But we'll talk about the relevance in a second. He's saying, but these are a matter of choice rather than of duty. He goes, because you were never commanded to be celibate and you were never commanded to give up all your possessions. He goes, even the verse saying, if you want to be perfect, Dorotheus emphasized, it says, if you want, it wasn't a commandment. Right, it was it was just a, a piece of advice, but not not a commandment. Um, but how do you get there? You crucify yourself to the world. You make the world not rule over you. Okay, you make your will not the world, and that's where the concept of renunciation becomes more clear. Renunciation to get to the actual meat of this this topic. It's a voluntary refusal. It's I'm using my choice to refuse something not good. So it's so easy to be attached even to the smallest things, right? And Dorotheos, I think this is comforting, points at even what monks of his own time are attached to, food, clothing, some good tool. We're attached to it and we allow some kind of meaningless tool to produce in us worldly attachment. I remember this. When I, I originally didn't go to the Brotherhood, I originally went to St. Anthony's Monastery. And I was obsessed with getting, this sounds so trivial to you guys right now. Um, and I feel dirty about it now with all the tech that I have and possessions that I have. But at the time I was fixated on getting a bookshelf. Like, I mean, like it was on my mind. It was like, I can't wait to see anyone just put their bookshelf out in front of their cell so I can grab it, but it would occupy my thoughts, right? And that's what Dorotheus is talking about. He's just like, no matter what state of renunciation you're in, you can still be attached, right? So having almost nothing other than a ship ship made me really want my bookshelf, right? But now I have more than a bookshelf and now I might be attached to my phone, my laptop, the new tech that comes out. Tech is my weakness, right? But we are, it's easy to develop these worldly attachments, okay? So the question to reflect on, do you feel, excuse me, do you feel a sense of duty to be virtuous? Do you care about offering a gift off to God? 
something that you don't have to give up, but just giving up for the sake of it, right? In, in a situation, do you stop and ask, hey, did I ask, did I act virtuously? Like, do I know what it was? Did I, did I turn the other cheek? Was I free from anger? Was I actively trying to be merciful, right? Asking those questions, right? So it's in this context that we need to start renouncing. Since we have renounced the world and its things, so also we must renounce the very attachment to things, right? This is where he gets into an explanation of the monastic garb. I'm not going to get into it, which is really beautiful. It also kind of gives you an insight to what monks look like in the fifth century, um, sixth century, yeah, fifth century, sorry. Um, but he, he goes into what they mean to say, if you're going to look like this, act like this. So I would say that about your baptismal clothes and mine, right? That if, if, if we're going to wear the baptismal garb, which we are, then let's, let's, look, let's look the rule, right? So the theory, to come back to it, is that we're returning to how we were, okay? What got us in trouble was leaving ourselves, our proper self. What we used to leave, what we use to leave our proper self is what? Our will. Right? That the root cause of all these issues is our will. So, as we said, a monk is a Christian in the monastery. You're still a Christian, so we need to be faithful to our baptismal clothes. Now, how many of us have lamented? How many of us have had that thought that we want to do something right, but simply don't? Right? How many of you have gone in confession and being like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know. I just don't do it. Right? I know that I just need to get back into insert whatever it is. I just don't. I know that I can make time. I know, I know, I know, but I don't. Right? The answer is renunciation. And the, mecha the mechanism of attaining it, attaining it, is practicing not having your will gratified. You're not going to just in a second be able to learn how to do it right. That has to come by practice, right? Practicing not using the will. So Dorotheos gives some, some examples that you might think are extreme. I think that they're brilliant. Um, where he says, okay, let's say you have a thought. Something's over there. He says, don't look, just don't look, right? It's, it's not because there's something over there is wrong. It's simply saying practice in all things, even the small, not having your way, right? This actually saved me at the gym growing up, right? Like personally, because it's easy for the eyes to go wherever. Um, he says, okay, people are talking amongst themselves and, 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 and you, you want to speak, don't, right? Um, I'll differentiate here. This is about optional speaking to some extent, right? There might be places where you're supposed to. That might be the wrong place to pretend that you're taking an exercise of virtue um, of your parents talking to you, for example, or you're at a staff meeting. Um, he goes, you get a thought to ask the cook what he's cooking, don't ask. You see a random object and you want to know who or what brought it. Don't find out. Don't ask. My father, confession growing up, used to give me these exercises. Um, and honestly, it's very liberating. 
because you're not affected by things, right? Things you, 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 you actually, many people don't know how to deal with FOMO. You'll have way less FOMO um, when, when you have a, a grip over your will. But anyway, what he's trying to get at is that it's in, the, it's in having a habit in the small that the big comes far more naturally. Right. This is how to not be in the situation of I, I just I have no self-control. He's saying start start by doing it in the small. He says because he says something. This is very philosophical, but it's very deep. He goes because put it another way. If your one will, if your one desire is to get rid of having a will, then said another way, your will is always gratified. <laughs> Your desire to have no desire, to have no say, is gratified by having no say. So you're always content, right? Where you come to a state, okay, I'll, I'll rant for a second. You know when you are in a group and it's like, okay, where do you guys want to eat? And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter, right? And then somebody's like, okay, how about Chinese? And like, actually not Chinese. So it's like, okay, so you have a will, right? So when you said it doesn't matter, actually it did, or you would not be upset when we said Chinese, right? But, but what he's saying is, this is a horrible way of <laughs> reducing what Dorothea said, I'm making it really not deep, is saying, but if you reach, you can reach a state where you actually don't care. And so you're content with all the other people choosing because you really didn't want to choose, right? You, but it's, it's a sincere one, right? Um, and he said, this is a better way to live because more than likely, you're usually not gonna get your way, <laughs> which is him just being real. He goes, in real life, you're usually not gonna get your way, right? Um, I lost words. But um, if, if you let life force you to learn to break your will, you're gonna get to will renunciation on some level, just maybe not peacefully. But what I'm challenging is just saying, well, why not just do it on purpose, right? And then you can even enjoy it, um, as opposed to just feeling bummed out that everybody chooses and you never get a say. Um, and so then he tells an interesting story. Um, this would mean like Dorotheos likes stories and it's pretty cool. Um, he talks about when he was still in a, in a certain monastery, there's a disciple of an elder, a famous elder of his time or of his community um, that was given an assignment by his Abba. Okay, his Abba commanded him to return from somewhere before evening, right? They didn't like monks to leave the monastery for too long. You end up having dealing with the worlds. It might make you want to get into money again. It might make you talk too much. It might make you want to get married. Um, and those things happened, right? They, they, they wasn't coming out of nowhere. Um, so the elder said to his disciple, come back before the evening, right? You, I know you need to go to the city, but try and be back before, be back before evening. In the meantime, a great storm arose with rain and thunder. And this stream that used to flow, that they used to be able to just cross by walking through, flooded. And so now this guy can't just walk across. Um, it's not, or it's not easy to walk across, it's deep. But him remembering his elder's words, this, this, he, what he took as a command from his elder to be back by evening, made the, the, this, this, this monk say, no, I need to go back. He goes, so we begged this monk Right, we pressured this monk saying, don't go. It's not possible, it's dangerous for you. Like relax, like you don't need to worry about this, right? Like 
you're not going to get in trouble. Abuna Hefem, right? Abuna's going to understand. You, you can't go like this is a situation. But this guy was saying, no, I have to go across. That's what my elder said. And he refused to stay with Dorotheos and his, and his crew. Um, so they said, okay, let's take him as far as the stream. And when he sees how hard it is to cross, he won't cross. So Dorotheos recounts, we went with him. When we got to the river, he took off his garments, tied them to his head. Then he girded himself with one of the monastic garments, throws himself into this river in these frightful rapids. And he goes, we stood in horror, <laughs> trembling that this guy is going to drown. But he continued to swim and very quickly was on the other side. He put on his garment, bowed to us from the other side, said goodbye, and went on his way. We stood astonished, wondering at the power of virtue. For a while, we could hardly look at the river out of fear. He swam across it without harm for the sake of his obedience. So he's saying, as much as there's a danger to pride and self-will, there is a safety in obedience. Right? Um, I remember having a situation where my father confession gave me an order about something. And what I believed I was hearing from God, which is a very bold thing to say, and, I, and it's a terrible example to use, but um, with other elders, that what my, what my father confession had said previously wasn't matching what was going on. And so I was really anxious because I personally really was trying to pursue obedience to the T, right, in all things. And so I, I'm just trying to say what the intentions of obedience can, can do, right? So I asked God and some of my favorite saints for some help, right, and approached my father confession and just said, I believe that God seems to be saying X, Y, and Z for these reasons, but I don't want to without your blessings. I, I, want, I don't want there to be even the smell of disobedience, right? That resulted not only in his blessing, but it was just like, oh, not only am I a yes, Habibi, I'm a yes, I'm going to defend you. I'm a yes, I'm going to like talk to whoever might be resistant um, to what we're saying. Like it, it, it had a huge blessing. There's, there's a real blessing in obedience. Um, I know somebody who was ordered to remain silent in the face of people that he was serving that were lying about him slandering him um and and spreading lies that were destructive right so the person even kind of wanted to to speak up not even to just defend himself but because of the destructiveness of the lies that were being said and his father confession ordered him don't speak right the person obeyed the person came out stronger um ended up being justified before his accusers. The accusers ended up being forced to acknowledge error. But having said that, the person obeying, that wasn't their intention. Right? That wasn't their intention. So I, I'm saying that story to say the protection and the blessing of the obedience was great. But the person who was obeying wasn't obeying so that they might be justified or silenced or whatever. They were seeking virtue for the sake of virtue as Dorothea's teaching, there just happened to be 
these great side effects. Um, God chose his own way of how to deal with, with the situation. Um, but there's a different kind of safety to obedience seen in this next story, which is a very famous story, um, at least in, in Kitchener where I grew up. We heard this story a lot. I don't know if everyone remembers it, but um, the story came from Dorotheos, which is cool because um, my priest used to tell us the story all the time. There's a story of a brother that his Abba sent on errands, right? He was sent off to, to run some errands in the village. Um, and as he's out in the village, he sees the daughter of this man who's trying to attract him. She's making a pass, okay? And this monk is tempted, which by the way, is really comforting. <laughs> Right, like when we see that these monks are not being like, and I was just like, oh yeah, why would I ever sin? Right, that's not what he's saying. He's just like, I, I, I was tempted, right? And he feared what he might fall into. And so Dorothy says, pay attention to the humility and piety um, of both these people. This monk says, oh God, by the prayers of my father, by, of my Abba, save me. And immediately he found himself transported on the way, right? He found himself removed from the situation and on the road. Now, Dorotheus takes the story further and he goes, now, there's a humility and piety from both this disciple, but also his elder, because the elder sent the brother out because the monastery was in a difficult situation. And he asked first the, this disciple saying, do you want to go? And the brother didn't say, I'll go. But he said, Father, as you will, I will do. Because he feared falling into temptation and feared disobeying his father, right? So at first, he says, the elder told him, don't worry about it, you don't need to go. When the need arose, when the monastery is in a situation where there was a need, only then did the elder say, arise and go, my son. But he said, I hope in the prayers of my father that God will preserve you, right? That the elder said, I'm counting on the prayers of my Abba to protect you. And this you in the story is saying, well, I'm dependent on your prayers, Abba. He's saying everyone in this situation was asking for the prayers of everybody, right? Everybody was, was bringing down their, their will. Um, and then that even this monk, when he was in a situation, didn't just say, my God, save me. He said, oh God, for the sake of the prayers of my father, save me. Each of them hoped in the prayers of his father, right? I will not get into details, and it wasn't the same situation where, where this monk was in, I have experienced this more than once of saying explicitly from the story, oh Lord, by the prayers of my Abba, save me. Both man-made and spiritual disasters were averted from this. One time I was even saved from a car crash. There is something so strong in living in this way of renunciation, right? When it's a lifestyle, not just a random formula, but an actual way of really living right? Man-made and spiritual disasters really can be averted. And this is why obedience and humility always go together. Self-knowledge, which is what humility is, almost demands obedience because it tells you who you really are and saying, obey what it is that restores you to who you are, right? Bow to the thing that takes you from your real identity, right? So renunciation is saying, let me say no to me, especially when, not only when, but especially when me conflicts with what's right. 
because the exercises that he's giving to help you get to that is saying, say no to even when it's not wrong, right? This is where we can practice. So start off by saying, do I renounce myself towards the gospel? First and foremost, right? Am I saying no to this thing? I want to I wanna cuss out this guy who's treating me like this. But the gospel says, no, I will renounce my will for the sake of the gospel. Second, are you, are you renouncing your will to your spiritual elder? Do you even have one? Because one of the protections, it's funny, I, like, I think spiritual elders today and spiritual fathers and fathers of confession sometimes are scared to give an obedience to people because people are so anti-obedience, right? Being raised in this way, I, I'm personally the opposite. I'm like often asking for a rule. I'm like, just make it easier, give me a rule, right? But do you have a rule? Do you, have you asked for a rule? It can protect you from so much. For those of you who are married, do you practice obedience to your spouse? Renouncing your will to your spouse. <laughs> I, this might be good that many people don't have it, as Monica is honest. Um, do you practice obedience to your spouse? Do you practice obedience to your parents? Parents, do you practice obedience to your kids? Right? Do you practice obedience to your peers? Right? These are all ways to renounce your will by saying, let me act like I am not the boss. Um, let me really view myself as not. And then what you'll see is that to start with where this whole talk began, you do not become a slave to the passions anymore. Like there's, there, there is a link to all of this. By doing this, you're not ruled by the passions, you're ruled by virtue. When somebody says, hey, do this, you're happy to do it. You won't be saying, why is he telling me to do this? If somebody says, hey, this is canceled, you won't even be bothered by it. If somebody says something aggressively, you're not going to be moved to anger. You want to know how to get there? It's by this renunciation, by not having your way in the small. So it's Lent. I'd ask, what are you giving up? What, what, what part of you are you practicing your renunciation of? Um, if you haven't yet, I, we're almost halfway through or around halfway through. Um, get, get on it. Ask your, your, your special elder what to, to work on. May God grant us all the spirit of renunciation. Um, to him be glory now and always the age of all ages. Amen. Um, I'm going to check if there's any questions in the chat box. If there's any questions, feel free to either uh, raise hand and be unmuted or to put it in the chat. Um, but while you do that, there is um, a question here. Sorry, Naeem, I saw this one first and then, and then go for it. Um, the, the question, I, I think this might be the only question in the chat box. What's the line between not caring um, and apathy? Um, actually, believe it or not, apathy, um, I just want to turn on the light because it's getting kind of dark. Um, apathy in its most literal sense is probably a good word um, because it means to be without pathology, to be without disease, to be passionless. 
So apathy in its most proper sense would be a good thing. I think socially we tend to mean apathy as meaning meh, whatever, um, but in a maybe in a negative way. Um, that's not what we're called about because there's some things we're called to care about as much as saying I'm not attached to anything. So that if I don't get my way, I'm not worked up, right? Because a person who's apathetic in the proper way, it doesn't mean that they don't have emotions. It doesn't mean that they don't have stuff. It means they're not, it doesn't mean they don't have ideas. It doesn't mean that they don't get excited. I think we don't understand that. It means that those things just don't rule, rule us. So I like my tech. If you take my tech away, will I be upset? If I'm upset, then I'm not passionless. I'm not the proper apathy. So it's about caring about the right, but not being attached to my will. So when I don't get it, I'm not upset about it. I don't know if that clarifies. Uh, Nay, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right, Nahom. Um, let me unmute you one second, sorry. All right, um, yes, it's Nahom. Uh, so I have, uh, you said something earlier about uh, the difference uh, between perfection and commandment. And I guess in regards to kind of identity, and taking out the old man and putting on the new man, are we supposed to be pseudo-Christ? Are we supposed to be people that imitate Christ? I guess is my question. 100%. Right? What's the difference to... between perfection and, and, and the commandment? So the commandment actually is perfection. That's a great question, right? Christ said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Right. Or to use Dorotheos's language, because of who you're created to be, you're created to be the image. So to be Christ-like and to be perfect mean the exact same thing. And that Christ becomes the icon of what human perfection looks like. Okay. Um, uh, how do you combat pride when accomplishing small victories and self-renunciation? Um, yeah, it's, it's the, what my father confession, you should always talk about how you always have two demons on your shoulder, um, whenever you have a temptation so that if you, if you fall, you've got the one demon ready to be like, you suck, you're horrible, Right. And if you pass, you're so amazing, you're so good, you're so cool. Um, so the solution is actually in, the, in, in humility, which I'm using here literally as meaning self-knowledge, right? And actually in obedience, right? I'm, I'm renouncing my will towards the gospel. So if I did something right, I'm being who I'm supposed to be, right? So... I can be excited. It's one thing to be excited. It's different to be proud. Just I want to differentiate that. Being excited, that's not necessarily wrong. I might be really happy that I, that I chose right, right? That's different from being like, wow, I'm amazing. It was like, yes, like this time went good. No problem, right? That's not a problem, right? But if you can bring it back to obedience to the gospel, you won't be in that. I'll give an example. I, I one time went to... Um, my father confession and I was just like how do you not get proud if somebody praises you okay 
um like you give a talk and they're like wow amazing talk blah 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 and all that kind of stuff um and he goes you know when i give a sermon and people say wow abuna that was so good yani your words are from heaven blah 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 do you know what i say and so i was waiting for this deep like dramatic statement to follow and he goes i say thank you <laughs> and i was like okay wow um, he goes but what i say inside is lord you know right you know who i am right so self-knowledge which is what humility is self-knowledge is uh, humility is self-knowledge before christ it's to stand in front of the mirror okay it's not self-knowledge before another person and say capital i image is before me christ is before me i'm small i before him when i look at me compared to capital i what's different and that will include both positive and negative because I might notice, oh, I have a, a, a wound on my, on my shoulder. So I've noticed this so-called negative that I'm supposed to not have a wound. But it may also include, I noticed that my right arm is perfectly healthy. No problem. The pride would come in if I think that I created my right arm or that I did something to make my right arm or that the reason my right arm is healthy is because I invented health of my right arm. It's not. If my right arm is in good shape, it's because I followed the design, not because I'm so amazing. So it's about putting it back in its place, right? That self-knowledge before God, that that might um, uh, help us. Um, let me know in the chat box if that answered or not. Uh, go ahead, Nahum. I'm trying to unmute you, Naomi, so that you can uh, uh, say out loud. My bad. All right. All right. Okay. You're, you're good. Um, so my uh, question with the with the with the with the question that was just that you just answered, uh, Luna, was that um, now in in society today, there's this idea of having healthy self-esteem. And what mm -hmm. we see time and time again, like the, the, the theme of uh, the Desert Fathers that I've seen is that like the, the, the humility is borderline self-deprecating and, and, um, this, and this idea of health, healthy self-esteem and having uh, like a healthy relationship with yourself and the Orthodox stance, what does that look like? Um, I guess is my question. Is it, is it allowed to have a healthy self-esteem? That's great. Um, I would say yes. I think that reading the Desert Fathers, you could feel like it became a self-deprecation on the one hand. I also think that the world sometimes sounds like you need to become your own like paid cheerleader, um, which I think can be pathological sometimes too. Um, but the key is understanding that my dignity, and I do have dignity, is in my identity as, as, as Dorothea was talking about at the very beginning, as being a son of God, right? As being a child of God. I have every right to be proud of that. But the difference is that I will know that I didn't make myself that. I was honored that way. I was graced that way. He made me that way, 
right? And so I ought to carry myself with the dignity of royalty because I am royalty, but that the source of royalty is not myself. That's the key that keeps us in line, right? That I didn't make myself that, right? And so the, the, the way that the Desert Fathers speak will make more sense when a person lives in that trajectory um, because these other emotions that they feel that a person not in that world might see as self-deprecating might actually be something completely different if you enter that zone, right? So for example, um, I know I overuse this example, but it works. Um, let's say somebody cheated on his or her spouse and they went and told their spouse, hey, I, I messed up. And their spouse forgives them. They might just feel so bad about what they did that, or badly, sorry, we have adverbs still, um, that they keep on going to their spouse being like, I suck, I'm terrible, I don't deserve you. Who am I that you love me? I'm this, I'm that. Because of how they sincerely feel. That's not what repentance is. But this person also feels these things that they're saying. So a lot of the times, especially in the monastic literature, that's where they're coming from because they, they came to this desert saying, I want to choose you so badly. So when they fell short of that choosing, they felt a different kind of remorse than me and you might feel about the same thing. Um, and so that's why reading Desert Fathers does require some discernment um, about how they meant what they're saying when they say it. So I, I agree with that, with that caution, but it's, it's about knowing myself. That's why I'm saying humility is not just a negative, it's also positive, right? Where I can be happy that I'm healthy when I'm healthy because I already know I didn't make me healthy. I'm not the source of health, if you will. It's always coming back to that, that the source of all goodness is God. Um, you talked about obedience in all situations. Where do you draw the line in service like let's say something is dictated to you about a service that you truly believe will harm the people you serve and may negatively affect their spiritual life, what should you do? Um, that's actually why I put that small caveat of if it's the time to be silent, right? So what I would say is first, uh, self-accuse, which there's a whole chapter of in Dorotheos that's phenomenal. Um, I don't know if we'll get to it in Lent because it's a later chapter, but it's a, it's a really good chapter to read. Uh, first asking, why am I speaking? Is there really an issue or is this a hypothetical? Or am I philosophizing? Am I really, really looking for the good or am I just wanting my way and not liking that I'm not getting it, right? Like just start there. And, and the answer to these might be no. It might be that there's a really an issue. I'm, I'm just saying, but first make sure that there really is one, right? Um, that I'm not, I'm not speaking up for ulterior reasons, right? Where it's just like, I wanna be the hero. Right? I want to be the guy who stood up to the system and said, I will not stand for this, rah, rah, rah. Right? And then have this, like, what can you do? Someone's got to speak the truth. Because there, there's all of that in us, right, of, of, of those. So check yourself, check your ego, check your motivations, check the situation. Ask, am I actually the one in the position to speak? And again, the answer might be yes. If it's not me, and I really genuinely feel strongly, and there's not something wrong going on, then... Let me go to the person whose job it is to speak. Intentionally deny your will, renounce your will towards what? The system. Not because I worship the system, but of saying that a system allows for me to be humble. Right? I, I don't like over-regulation, but I see the beauty sometimes of ritual, of, of annihilating self-expression where it doesn't belong. I'm a big believer in self-expression. But 
it can also be a source of ego. So saying, am I using the system properly, right? That maybe it needs to go to person X, Y, or Z. Maybe I am the one responsible. If I'm responsible, I'm not going to have a big uh, internal strife about it because I know it's my job, right? But then when I speak, do I speak humbly or do I speak aggressively and combatively and like I'm the speaker of truth? Or will I approach with a question, hey, does anybody feel that problem X is occurring? I think I'm observing problem X for these reasons. Do you all agree that there is? What do you all think could be a solution to problem X? If you're asked for solution, participate, right? And that's why he said, ask, do I need to speak or not, right? Um, and, and, and to choose not more often than not, right? But it's not saying don't. So those are, those are ways to get around it. Um, and if you are sincere in why you're speaking, people will also see that. Um, but at the same time, make sure that you are asking, am I the guy who's always talking? Am I the guy who's always the one with the opinion? Right? And the solution might not be to stop, but this is where, and I'm, I'm going to always push this. These are exactly the kind of scenarios to go to in spiritual guidance. Right? So I'll, I'll give an example. I did the opposite of what this question is saying. I was in a crew that was serving youth at my home church called You Think. And sometimes I was aggravated by people's opinions. So I was silent. And my silence was not because, oh, who am I to speak? It was because I thought they're all morons. Okay. So then I'd go into, it's terrible to say, but I was very egotistical. I still am. So I go to, to my priest and be like, I don't know if they get it. Um, and I'm all exasperated. And he's like, well, then why didn't you say something? And I was like, what do you mean? I, I chose to remain silent. I was like, you thought that was virtue? That was virtue to sit there and think you're so smart and they're all dumb. When you're at a servant meeting where the point of the servant meeting is specifically to discuss those very issues that you clearly have very strong opinions about, right? So the guidance part is to put you in check of what is my real motivations. Um, if I tend to be an overspeaker, because then I went to the other extreme where I just decided that the whole world needed my opinion on everything. Right. So then there became spiritual exercises about when to speak, how often to speak. Right. Maybe your spiritual father would be like, speak last. Right. Like there's different ways to, to combat it, but that might be something to bring up in your sessions with your spiritual elder um, to be like, hey, I'm not sure if I have an ego issue and I'm not sure if I'm speaking um, too much. Um, I agree with Nahom. I think the devil tricks us to fall into guilt and reduce his self worth when we sin. And when we accomplish a spiritual goal, we tell ourselves it's not us. We aren't actually good not to focus on the growth. Understanding the source of goodness is God. How can one lift up oneself to feel happy or good in spiritual growth through him without falling into pride? Um, and as I think the key is understanding the source of goodness. It's that I think it's that simple. Right? Like it's it's. It's like. If you designed a system for how, I don't know, like your office should run or how something should go, like I'm just trying to think of something. Um, and let's pretend you have absolute knowledge for that. And then you go and you set up these rules that are in the office. If the system's working, 
and all is flowing well and you've got a great flow and everybody is, is served on time and all the staff are at peace, why not be happy? Right? And you, you'll be happy that you participated, right? But it's just saying that I adhered to the quote unquote system, which resulted in a great flow. Everything is as it ought. We are happy, right? Like, like great. The pride is to say, yeah, yeah, thank God I'm in this office. Things are running so smoothly in this office because I'm in this office. We're just like, but no, this, the office is running smoothly because it's following the so-called system that we're pretending we know to be absolutely right. Right? It's just saying that I'm not the source of the system. I adhere to the system and good resulted that made us all happy. So I'm saying, great, be happy. Right? We're never saying don't be happy. Right? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Right? Um, everything that God gave is good. We should be happy. Right? It's to just simply not attribute the right towards myself, that I'm not the source of rightness. And then you can enjoy, right? Then you can in, in, enjoy without fear. Um, whereas the other side is to say, okay, to not fall into despair, I made a mistake. And that might even make you appreciate rightness more of saying, look at how when I did not choose the system and i just hate the word system like forgive me for using it because it's identity not system but when i chose help when i chose right it was good but the flip side is saying yeah and when i chose wrong i didn't feel well the office was unhappy i was bothered i had a negative experience when i didn't choose right that's that'll be all it is Right. It doesn't require like because I'm a scumbag and a scoundrel and I'm horrible and woe is me and I am filth and woe betides me. Right. That's where you could go with it. But I'm saying you'll be regulated from both extremes by placing it in truth. Right. By placing it in the source of, of rightness. Go ahead and home. I pronounce it differently every time. Can you also tell me how to pronounce it? <laughs> uh, how do we unmute one second? Um, I mean, I, I really, I really don't mind. It's I'm, I'm named after the prophet, so however, however you want to pronounce it. But um, uh, it, to the point, to the point that you you mentioned just now, um, we obviously God is the source of all good. Um, but I I, th I think that like it it becomes a very a very difficult um kind of battle in my mind to to, to make sense of this how how salvation works in the sense of it's supposed to be a synergy between us and God. But then if mm -hmm. everything, if the source of everything that's good is God, where's, where's my, I guess, like input, I guess, because it, it is, I know it's God working on my salvation at the end of the day. Like he's the reason of my outcome. But then at the same time, like, where is my, like, I, where's my part, I guess you could say, or like my responsibility in that, in that sense. Because if, is it everything, everything that's being done by God? Or is it like, how does it work, I guess? It's so, a little bit of a tangent. No, it's not. That, that's the bullseye. Your participation is your choosing, which is exactly Dorothea's point. I was saying that your, your choosing wrong resulted in wrong. And so he's saying renounce that, renounce choosing wrong and choose right. And that's where your will comes in. 
of saying that I'm participating by loving right, by choosing right. Right. And that that's why God is saying, and good for you for choosing right. That was a real work. That's where the synergy is. Mm-hmm. So the design, so what I'm saying is the design is what God made. We didn't, we're not the design. My choice is always a choice of do I choose pro-design or anti-design? Mm-hmm. Dorotheus is saying man went on this, this addiction of choosing against design. And that's what resulted in misery. Christ fixed that, restored us to the ability to be fixed by the design, and that my will is always in question of, do I choose design or do I not choose design? So I'm saying the pride that's wrong is when when I choose the design and good comes, pretending like I'm the designer, right? Is, 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 and that's what Dorothea was saying, acting like I'm the designer. But my joy that I, that I was able to benefit from proper design is a real one. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I can also rejoice that I chose design, right? I don't have to be like, oh, no, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yes, it was you. You participated, right? But we receive grace. There's that help. And I think that's the synergy you're, you're talking about, right? But that the more, and this is where I just want to jump into too many spiritual topics, but it would naturally go there. Because then the natural next question becomes, how does this synergy work, right? Because the, the answer to me is, when I'm in relationship with God, when I'm choosing God, God is also continually choosing me. Then he might give me, like, boosts, helps. There might be an active extra grace other than just the good design. That does exist, right? Um, but then, but that now becomes in the context of my communication, and that's, prayer virtue like it's a whole bunch of things at that point but i like that you're, what you're saying because that i hope helps people see how these topics are actually all related to each other they're not individual right that they're they're all encompassing because it's all in the context of relationship thank you all right it's a great question peter then marie and then i have one in the chat so i didn't see it Peter walked away. Uh, Marie, until Peter comes back. Pain. Um, yeah, I have like a very weird question. It's not even weird. Maybe I just don't know how to phrase it. But um, I guess when it comes to being like intentional about our choices um, and what we decide to do, I feel like it's kind of, it's like really hard to do it when you experience so many tribulations back to back. So I guess like, I I say that in terms of like exhaustion, because many times in those moments, you could have like heightened emotions or whatever it is. How do we mm-hmm. decenter ourselves in those moments? Um, and how can we like continue to be intentional about which decisions we're making um, to honor, to honor Christ? That's an awesome question. I think this is going to sound philosophical at first, but to me, it's not philosophical anymore. It's to, to go back to what Dorothea was saying, this, who am I question? Where do I come from? Right. And that's why he was saying virtue is a duty, not just a, not just a, an idea. Right. But it's to say, why do I live? What do I live for? Right. Like for example, a person who's chosen to do a degree, 
is put through a whole bunch of following decisions after choosing the degree that are often extremely uncomfortable, right? There's coursework, there's exams, there might be labs, right? There's choosing to study when you might rather have, there's, there's a, a bunch of following consequences that come of things we might not prefer that might also be exhausting. What gives me the ability to get through it is my belief in that goal, right? Otherwise it's not working. It doesn't mean that I'm not gonna fall. It doesn't mean I'm not gonna sometimes choose wrongly. It doesn't mean that every time I'm supposed to study that I'm gonna study. It's just that it gives me the why, it gives me the, the direction. So the same thing when it comes to Christ is saying, oh, I'm his kid. I'm not just his kid, but I was given an actual objective identity, which is himself, right? I, I overuse this too, and I'm, this is not to get political, but it, it just serves a point. You can choose Clinton or Trump, which either one you want. But it's saying the people, the people were upset when either one of them had behavior that they felt was unbefitting of their position, right? I was just saying, regardless of what you believe with them, I don't care, but I'm saying a president should not act like insert whatever it is here, right? Is that if I look at myself in that way of saying, am I behaving in a way befitting to a prince or a princess because I actually am one. I know it's cliche, we say it all the time, but I, I literally am one, so are you, right? That it can be, it's to bring it back to that identity. So I'm trying to get at um that's on the one hand so the philosophical that's not philosophical to me is identity the other part i would say is it's part of spiritual guidance because it might be that i am exhausted it might be that i'm lifting ineffectively and so i'm always tired and in pain um it might be that i'm in a poor environment that really affects my ability um to make the decisions like there's there's now there could be environmental stuff it could be a personal stuff it could be all of those but that will become the nitty-gritty of but why am i struggling to conform to identity right so i start off by am i in conformity with the goal and then secondarily okay i'm in conformity but i'm struggling why am i struggling like let's get it diagnosed um and if i can really jump off of what you said this is also why we have duties to each other are we helping each other have an environment where lifting is easier? Are we helping each other like make the choices easier? Or are we creating an environment where it's all a lot harder? I'm not sure if I answered Marie or not. Um, hi, Abby, miss you, miss you too. Uh, regarding the topic of speaking up, um, have you ever felt strongly about something that you need to speak up about, uh, like an edifying comment or so? How do we know if we're inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this compared to feeling that this needs to be said, our own ego and such? I uh, don't know if this makes sense. No, it does make sense. Um, I have had times where I felt the need to speak up and I spoke and times where I, need, I felt that and I did not. Um, but that exercise that I talked about early, I do that. I've been like, it's been indoctrinated in me, right? This whole like, why am I speaking? Um, and am I in the position to speak? Um, am I speaking because I'm actually excited about the topic or because I want people to think I'm brilliant? Um, if I feel that in any way with that quick self-accusation that I'm trying to get attention or be praised or to look intelligent, because we're all human and we can all fall prone to that, um, I tend to not. Um, if it's specifically my role to speak, then I, I, then I do. Um, 
if something said in, in front of me is objectively wrong and there's no superior present. So for example, let's, I'm just going to make up something random. Let's say for the step one is, is the issue doctrinal, right? Like just, if you want a stepwise approach, right? So let's say I'm in a meeting and somebody's just like, yeah, I mean, Trinity is optional, right? Like you don't have to believe in that Trinity stuff, right? Then if I'm a priest, which I am, and I'm there, then I have a duty to speak. But if I'm a priest and I'm there and the bishop is present, no, it's not my place to speak. It's actually first the bishops, right? So as I mean about one, is it doctrinal? Two, is it my role? But let's say it's not doctrinal and somebody's just expressing opinion being like, you know, I just think X, Y, Z. And what they're saying, there's nothing objectively wrong with it. Then I'll ask, why do I want to speak? Is it because I just need my opinion to be heard, right? Is it because I'm really excited about it? Being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of what I was taught, right? Sure, no problem. But I won't feel guilty, right? I won't have a question. So maybe ask yourself why you're asking the question. Um, I don't mean that as though you're doing something wrong, but because you might be asking because we just had to talk about it, but you might be asking it because you feel that you do it. I know that I, I, I have an inclination sometimes to speaking too much. So for me, I went to my father confession and got a rule um, and, and to, so that it can get back into its proper place and then freed from the rule. Uh, what if the sickness is in the will? This is a great question. What if the sickness is in the will and the ability to choose? How do we fix it? Could it be an indication of my lack of love, commitment, or even lack of enjoyment of this synergy with God rather than a weak will or discipline? Um, it could be. It could be. Um, but this is to um, Nahum. I'm going to pronounce it the way that I would have the, the book of the Bible. <laughs> um, and I could be pronouncing Nahum wrong itself. But um, uh, of where the synergy comes in, right? This is where the synergy comes in because if my will itself is diseased or if my spirit is diseased, I need healing. And the healing comes from the grace of the sacraments and of my connection with God, right? So there's an active grace through the sacramental life that can help clean those. But this is why, and I keep on emphasizing it, and I, I hate emphasizing this as a priest because I'm always worried that people think that I'm saying it so that people will talk to me or a priest, but that's not the, the goal it's because of my own experience of, of, of discipleship and guidance is that this is where if you are able to be x-rayed by your spiritual physician, it gets fixed so easily, right? Of being able to say the disease in you like so raw, right? Like of being able to be like, no, I was just angry. Like, like not even trying to cover it up. I mean, because some of us will be going to be, you know, I don't know, like, I felt angry, but probably it was just because, like, no, right? Like, I was livid. I was so mad. I wish that heaven would have swallowed them up and killed them, right? Let's just deal with the disease, right? Um, or being like, I was, I like, I was on cloud now. I just love that they were singing my doxologies. I loved it, right? Like, of just being able to, to, to say it. Um, because then it will become more clear if the sickness is in the will um, in, in the choosing. Because if so, that's why Dorothea is saying, but that that is the issue for most of us is that our will is diseased. And so the solution is to start practicing choosing in the small of saying, I'm gonna keep saying no in the small so that it's easier for me to say no in the big. Um, but if it's more than that, 
A, diagnosis helps, and B, the, the sacraments. Um, to answer the question of why choosing the will is so hard, uh, I don't know if this is a question. Reminding you of your example, if you eat fast food daily, it's hard at first to go to salads until eventually you notice weight loss and more energy. Thanks, that makes me feel smart. Um, uh, yes, thanks, <laughs> now I feel embarrassed. But yeah, if, if a person is used to eating fast food, of course, it does get hard to eat properly, right? It does get hard to eat properly. Once you start seeing the benefit of eating healthfully, um, it can become easier to choose healthy because at least you're starting to see the fruits of it, um, which is to bring up yet again how everything relates to each other. When a person's healthy, everything makes sense. Right. When you're if you live in sickness, it's hard to understand health. And that what Dorotheus is saying, if you want to start experiencing health, the source of your not is your decisions. So he's saying start by renouncing wrong decisions um, as, a, as a full wraparound. Um, how do you balance between uh, thank you, Anthony, for putting this in, the, in, the, in here uh, between obedience to peers and showing leadership at work? Honestly, I think. Your obedience to peers will make you a much more effective leader because you're not announcing to them, I hereby obey your will. You're just doing it. Um, I'll give an example. There's a priest who, when he was a, not a priest, um, was sometimes bothered as a servant that like Abuna always got his way. Not because he was bothered by Abuna. Um, it wasn't a jealousy thing, but just being like, I wish, like, I wish the servants had more say, right? Like the, the decisions are always coming top down. Um, and like, I get it. He's an Abuna, blah, 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 blah. But like, it would be nice if we could also have a say because we're also on ground zero dealing with people, right? So that guy ended up becoming a priest. So when he was at his parish, he actively made a decision saying, not just because I'm a priest will I get my way. I'm the team lead, if you will, from this question. But I'm going to let them have their way as much as possible. I'm not even going to, like, when they give their idea, be like, we could do that. But, you know, I just think blah, blah, blah because a lot of the servants will then think, Abuna is saying, do this. Right? So... It resulted in his servants really loving to work with him, right? But what it also resulted in, if you want to see the gain in it, when Abuna actually felt really strongly unprincipled about something, nobody argued. Like when he was just like, actually, with this one, I kind of feel strongly that it needs to be this way. They were like, by all means, Abuna. Right, because to them it was just like Abuna rarely gets his way, and he rarely even says it. Think about even your your meetings, when there's somebody who rarely speaks. When that person speaks, people tend to be like, "Wait, let's listen," because that person never talks. Right. So I actually think you could be a very effective leader um, by taking to account where something is objective. That's when where there's an absolute. Of course, you're not going to listen to somebody who's against the absolute. But where it's not absolute, where it's an opinion, where it's a trial, where it's a, a thing, 
relax. Imagine if you're just like, yeah, let's try it. Let's see how it goes, right? Um, I feel that with my my bishop, to be quite honest with you, with Embus Rabiun, right? Embus Rabiun is very much like a, you have an idea, you want to try it, go for it. What's the problem, right? And as a result, I feel his bishopness, if you will, more. Like I feel like it's a proper use of his authority and an excitement for when he gives guidance as the leader, right? The, because the power is not in getting your way. The power is that you can have your way and you choose not to get it. That's the power of renunciation, right? It's, it's so powerful. It's that I could get it. I could demand it. I chose not to demand it. Go for a name. Again, I said it differently. <laughs> uh, sorry, Abuna. I feel like I've been asking a lot of questions, but um, uh, I, I actually initially wanted to ask this, but I just kind of, I didn't want to go into a tangent. But um, uh, one thing I guess I've realized is that a lot of times the reason why we don't, um, we are righteous, quote unquote, is because we, we grew up having our will suppressed in a way. So like, and like, in, in like a, a sort of traumatic way. So growing up, we would be like, it would kind of come off as someone who's a pushover. Uh, mm. Not necessarily because they're, they're actively making that effort to, 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 to be uh, obedient or to be able, but rather because they're afraid of the other person or like uh, exalting the, like the, the person that's doing the act. And so do you think that like that uh, sense of, of obedience or humility that, that, and, and that, and that retrospect is uh, at the same level of someone who's actively, who has the, the will, but actively is doing the opposite of that will. Like, is, is that the same or should the, should the person that, that's, that, that underwent trauma go into a place where he's in a sense prideful and then like take away his will. I think that person might go through different phases, but I think the solution is actually what we're just saying to the previous question, which is I might be a little bit broken um, from my trauma, but if I'm able to see truth for what it is to say, okay, I might have been choosing this way before out of fear but saying, but now I'm choosing because it's true. Because that's where the power comes from, right? Um, there's a, a story, um, Father Silas, God opposed his soul, the Kitchener crew will remember him. Um, he told us once in Waterloo, Ontario, that um, he was a Muslim convert. Uh, somebody tried to um, kill him for uh, being... Um, a former Muslim, right? So this guy comes, attacks him. This is in Canada, okay? Um, so it's like a civilized country, right? And Abuna was very fit and strong at the time. Tackles the guy, pins him to the ground, not like your normal, what you'd expect from like a Christian or a priest for that matter. Um, has his knee over the guy's Adam's apple and says to him, so I can kill you. I can kill you. But 
I'm not going to because I'm a Christian. So I'm going to remove my knee from your throat and you can either kill me, I'll let you, or we can go to Tim Hortons and talk about stuff over coffee. So the guy elected coffee, but I love that story because not because Abuna fought, et cetera, but of that, that message is what I'm trying to get at. I was saying, no, you don't get it. I can take my, my will by force. I don't even want to use my rights. I'll say, because we don't have that language. I can implement my, my will by force. I can. So the question, the only question I need to answer for myself, not for others, is why am I renouncing my will? Because if it's for the truth, I'm going to be confident. I'm not, it's not going to bother me. Right. To use the example of anger, right. Like when my father confession was saying that he goes, but you're choosing to gratify this passion of anger just made you upset. Right. So it's like, but if I choose to not gratify the passion of anger, even if I have quote unquote right to be angry, right. Is that I benefit from it. So if I'm peaceful around whoever is the source of my, my anger, I'm the one in power, right? But I know why I renounce that. If I know that I'm only choosing it because I'm afraid, of course, I'm going to be miserable, right? I'm going to be miserable because I know that I didn't choose it because it's right. I chose it because I'm afraid. I chose it because I'm a pushover. I chose it because I'm worried what they will think. I chose it because I was afraid I'd lose my job. I chose it because I didn't want them to think that I don't know, right? Those are all imperfect reasons for my choosing but if i chose it for truth i don't care what anybody thinks go for it thank you abuna Where's... um do you have any advice for following obedience from a superior when you feel as if the decision isn't the best or you don't have the same respect from that superior how can you gain that sense of obedience back example a parent or a boss um, that's a, that's a good question. And I think it's related to what Nahum was just saying is number one is placing the root of your obedience, not in the person, but in the gospel. Once you've divorced it from people, places, and things, you'll be at more peace because again, you'll know why you are doing it. And that's what gives you all the power. Isn't that Christianity is, is, is a simple, b hard, right? But see very liberating right because it's just like yeah yeah think whatever you want who cares right because the person who knows the truth couldn't care less what anybody says it's like imagine if, I, if i'm innocent of a crime and i'm being accused of it whatever anybody says to me no one's going to be able to make me feel guilty no matter what they do because i know that i'm not right i know it's a fact for me right? It's not a, it's not an idea. It's a fact, right? So number one is to place your obedience and saying, I'm obedient because they're superior. It's not, I'm an obedient because I think they're right. It's not, I'm obedient because I think they had the best idea. It's not because I think that they're so wise. If I happen to think those things bonus, but it's not the reason for my obedience, Right. And so once I have the place of my obedience and if that and again, if the reason for the obedience is truth, it's easy. For example, your parents. The Ten Commandments say honor. 
doesn't say obey, but the New Testament says, children, obey your parents. And then this following part, which I'll get in trouble for my parents for, underlying in the Lord, because obedience to the gospel actually comes first, not second, right? So for example, if my parents ask me to do something that's not in the Lord, peace out, no thank you. Same thing with my bishop, forgive me. If my bishop says lie, absolutely not, right? Thank God mine would never do that. But I'm saying that if it came to that. But my reason for obeying, if my bishop says, AP, no longer take confessions. It doesn't matter what I think of that. That is his right. That is his right. So it doesn't matter what his reasoning is. I'm going to obey. I might have feelings about that decision if you were to make that. Right, that's not it's not a problem that I have feelings. All I'm saying is that the source of my obedience is just simply going to be the truth of the matter, the truth of the situation, the truth of the person, the truth of identity. Um, and then I think you won't um, uh, feel that that pull anymore. In fact, it'll 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 make you the person who's so chill, um, like for real, because just be like, yeah, sure, what's the problem? They're allowed to choose. Like, why does that bother you? But you'll mean it at some point, right? And it won't mean you even agree. That's like, this is not about pretending that you like it or pretending that you agree. It's simply saying, it doesn't matter how I feel. This is what I ought to do. But if there's something objectively wrong, then you speak, right? Like the scripture also says, what do you call evil, uh, good evil and evil good? Who calls sweet bitter and bitter sweet? Right, the truth also calls us to to that when it's our place. Right, um, that might be a good topic at some point of of when to speak. I think we talk a lot about when not to speak, but we don't often talk about when to um, speak. I think that was it for questions. This was great. I was so nervous about this. I'm not going to lie because I haven't done this in forever. Um, some people are asking if this will be a thing. This is going to be a weekly thing. Um, I don't know if you guys prefer. Um, um, I was originally thinking to alternate one week Bible, one week like topic. Um, yeah. It might make more sense um, to just do topic weekly for a bit, I think. Just I'm worried about switching back and forth. And, and also because my Bible studies tend to get too academic, I'm told. Um, so I don't want to turn everybody off. But if, if you have opinions, feel free um, to uh, shoot them uh, at me. Um, talks will go up. I've, I'm switching websites. Um, so everything is going to be going to that truthandfreedom.co. Um, um, so you can find stuff there. I'm thinking about, I'm saying this all because I'm looking for your feedback. There might be an option to sign up for updates here or to send text that you can just get the Zoom links in an email and then I don't need to paste it on Facebook. Thankfully, we weren't bombed today. I'm just always afraid because of the stuff that's happened. Um, and we'll go from there. I think for Lent, somebody's asking, will it be uh, all from Dorotheos? I think for Lent, I will be um, uh, from Dorotheos. I think it's a great Lent book to do from because I don't think we'll be able to finish the whole book. I might choose random topics that I think don't get covered enough um, at normal like meeting times, um, if that's cool. Um, I think it'll be fun. Uh, thank you guys, you make me feel better about myself. Um, Peter, you're very missed. I didn't realize you had your hand up. Go for it, Peter. Your hand's up. I didn't know if you were saying hi. 
Hold on, you know, we can't hear you. Let me, let's. No, yeah, let's, here we go. Uh, hi, everyone, I miss you. Um, <clears throat> uh, so are we still going to do the Bible study on the Gospel of John? So some people are saying yes, some people are saying no. So I'm not sure. Maybe what I'll do, maybe, I don't want to promise because um, I am, uh, like, I have my duties here in the van as well. Maybe might make it separate. That way, those who want that, no problem. That way, it's like even like I I've never personally cared about numbers. So even if it's three people, I don't I don't mind. Um, I do want to finish John because I never got around to doing that. So um, we'll take a look at that, or maybe switching them up. I'll, maybe I'll put a poll up and see how everybody feels about it. And uh, we might need you as a guest speaker by Zoom here in the van, but we'll talk about that. All right. All right, homies, uh, let us end in uh, prayer before we bounce. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, make us worthy to pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation, but those from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Love of God, the Father, grace, and the God, the Son, the King, give the Holy Spirit through all. Go in peace, the peace of it through all. Thanks, guys, and thanks, uh, Anthony, for uh, taking care of all that.